When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Craven Cottage makes some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast! It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. On today's podcast, we're going to look back at Tuesday night's 1-0 loss to Aston Villa at Villa Park. It was a long way to go for only one shot, not even on target after 17 seconds. Uh, there's not an awful lot to say about the game. Even the uh, highlights on the Fulham website couldn't stretch to two minutes, so it'll be interesting to see if we can stretch to an hour on today's podcast. We'll also look ahead to Man City on Sunday. That should be a joyous prospect. Uh, and then the final part, though, a bit more lighthearted. We've got some nice questions and then a couple of this'll catch-ons. I can promise that none of them come from the host this week. And I am joined by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, good, thank you. And Sonia Twig is back. Hello, Sonia. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. Nice to have you on, Sonia. Obviously, you made your debut on the Thursday Club last week. Straight back in for episode number two. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for jumping on again. No worries. I mean, a week of uh, dismal defeat for Villa, prospect of Manchester City. Who wouldn't want to? talk about that for an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah i imagine after about an hour of last night's game you're there like oh i've made a really bad life choice uh to jump on the Fulhamish podcast tomorrow but uh alas here you are you at least are professional enough to uh still still do your duties even though there is almost nothing to say uh, about last night's game uh jack what were the best three word reviews that came in from last night's defeat at villa park Okay, it was a few really good ones. Um, a lot of them revolved around Tyrone Mings is, and, and Nate plays on his name. Matt Wall's Minging Away Day, probably my favourite of those ones. Uh, Sean Burdett with Fulham's Wings Clipped, I thought was good. Uh, can't Afford Seat at FFC Riverside, enjoyable. Shot Shy Capitulation. Um, Ash Wolford, our friend over from FFC and me, with no offence given, which I thought was very clever. Uh, Fulham home runs gave us White's wounded wingers uh, and Paul Budd said midweek Midlands misery. All right, well, let's get into the match. Um, Sonia, I mean, <laughs> I'm still just getting over. Sometimes I think that with football, you get the highs of football and they're amazing. Last minute winner at Brighton this season. Unbelievable. The 3-2 win at Forest. The win at Leicester. So many great away moments. But for those away moments to be good, sometimes you have to go through matches like last night, which reaffirm that football sometimes can just be really crap. Not even... Not you, not like shit. Not like we went up to Newcastle and conceded five in the first 20 minutes. Just tepid nothing happened it was just a bit lame a bit lackluster and just entirely forgettable um is there anything that we can deduce from this match other than that Fulham's attack is pretty blunt and Villa's defense is quite good I mean I have to say I was there trying to make notes ahead of coming on this podcast and I didn't get very far um (laughs) other than the injuries to Willian and Harry Wilson which I think unfortunately are probably the main talking points and I hope yeah. that they're not too serious because 
Wilson's only just come back in and has been doing really well in the last few matches. I think the disappointment for me, Sonia, is I felt like maybe a nil-nil draw could have been on the cards last night. But the goal that Villa scored... Um, it would look, it was particularly frustrating in the away end because the corner was taken directly in front of us. They had about four corners in a row. Finally, um, they made one work and it all just seemed a bit easy. No one really seemed to challenge Tyrone Mings. No one was at the back post to clear it. It was one of those goals where you're in the ground of like, oh, I don't mind you scoring. If you're going to score a great team goal or if you're going to score one from 30 yards, fantastic. But just to concede quite a, just a simple corner, um, wasn't even that well worked I didn't think maybe you saw it differently from the TV but yeah it was just one of those in the ground where you're like oh and then it was Tyrone Mings as well it was just a bit like <sighs> I thought it was a good header but I do agree that I'm not sure either side really deserved to win that match and get all three points from it there wasn't a huge amount from either team but I guess that's what happens when you know clubs are, are on a flying you know they've been they've had an amazing campaign since that game at Fulham where Gerard got sacked and I think when you're playing that well results do tend to just go your way I'm not sure there's anything more to it than that um I think Fulham struggled going forward I think it's something that you know we've spoken a lot about since Mitrovic's ban that without him there just isn't that same end product and focus going forwards and I think he's trying to work around that with Dan James after trying Vinicius for a bit but you just can't replace someone of that quality. And I think that's something they're struggling with. The thing that concerns me is that this is potentially the worst time of the season to get those injuries up front, especially with the absence of, of Mitrovic. And Fulham have been quite lucky with injuries so far this season. There have been a couple of serious ones, but basically the squad has managed to stay the same. And it'd be quite detrimental to the end of the season if a couple more started cropping up in key positions. I think it's suddenly might sort of just drop off. Yeah, Jack, I mean, um, I, I couldn't work out the Harry Wilson one from from the stands. I thought it was going to be one of those injuries where he kind of got back up his, on his feet and uh, and ran around because he, he wasn't like, he wasn't taken off on a stretcher. Um, but it, it was quite hard to judge really the, the seriousness of that injury and whether it's a reoccurrence of, of the problem that he had before. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those which looks you're worried about it because there was nothing in it, you know, and, and this is maybe a little bit of a cliche, but when players go down and there's no one around them and they haven't been subject to a tackle or there's no sort of obvious impact injury, those are the ones that you tend to look at and be like, Oh, I don't like the look of that very much. And and that was what mm. worried me about Wilson's one. He'd already been over to the bench, you know, in the, in the breather beforehand where, where the penalty chat was looked at and said, I'm not feeling it. And then two minutes later, he was down on the deck and that was that. So I, I think kind of when you're when you're looking at those, it, I hope it's not a reoccurrence. It, you know, it, it, that's the that would be the worst thing that could happen. It might be muscular, which is not ideal. Um, and just as he was coming back to form and fitness it, is a horrible time for Harry. I would say that, you know, if he's if this is the point where he has got injured for a couple of weeks or even to the end of the season, maybe it allows him a full preseason run to try and get that fitness back up. And and so maybe at the end of the day for next season, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but it's horrible to watch considering, one, how good he's been in the last two games and that return to form uh, at the sharp end of Fulham's attack. And two, I think just, just generally how he struggled this season with injury. It's never nice to see him go down again. 
uh, that early in the game. Yeah. Um, Sonia, second half Fulham improved. Like it was a bit better and occasionally we looked threatening-ish. Um, we did have the ball in the net. Harrison Reed just strayed offside. Bobby Decker reed had a chance late on, but it still never felt like Villa were really that worried that we were ever going to score. No, it did sort of have that feeling. I think the only thing I mentioned about the Harrison Reed when the ball was in the back of the net is I don't think there's any reason for him to stray offside there. Mm. It wasn't something that, you know, he didn't need to be there to receive the ball. It almost felt a bit lazy and sort of a bit disjointed, which was sort of how I would look at the whole performance really is things just weren't quite working. The balls through weren't there. The passes weren't finding the right player. And I think it's sort of summed up by that goal. I do think Fulham improved. I think, you know, Villa are a really tough team to play against. They beat Newcastle the other day. They've played really well. But I do think, especially for the Fulham fans who, you know, travelled up to Villa on a Tuesday night, you really want to see a bit more from your team in terms of spirit and just really trying their best. And it's quite frustrating when you see sort of passes not going to players and everything being stopped quite easily by by Villa. Yeah. Um, Jack, I thought Tosin had another yep. brilliant game. I mean, he just keeps getting better and better. And I think, I, I don't know if it's the element of like, he lost his place and now he has to fight every week. He knows that if he puts one bad performance in, a bit like Easy Diop put one bad performance in against Bournemouth, really lost his place to Tosin. And then all of a sudden he's got his place and he's keeping it on merit. I just keep thinking that like game after game, I'm waiting kind of for a tossing of old performance to come in where he's, uh, I mean, he's had a couple of moments in the past few games, but yesterday he really kept Ollie Watkins hugely quiet. Yeah. I thought he was brilliant. Um, aside from that early penalty shout, which I do agree. I very rarely agree with Steve McManaman, but I agree on this regard uh, in that he, he was a little bit lucky He's just sort of swung a leg at it and he's he's got a little bit of the ball and it did look a little bit wild and reckless. So there was that early kind of scare moment. Um, but after that, it was brilliant. Um, and, and it was one of those where he kept stepping across Watkins. He kept being able to kind of shut those wires in behind. And there was a, quite a lament I saw from some Villa fans online, especially in the second half. There was no outball into Watkins. And I think so much of that was due in just having another one of those games where he was completely dominant both in the air and on the deck. So a lovely game in, in that regard from him, I thought. Um, and, and it's really nice, as you say, to, to see him doing well. That competition, I think, look, it, it's it's a common thing. And, and not just, you know, it's, we, we talk about squad refreshes and we talk about the fact that competition for places breeds better performances with most players. Some players... Don't thrive within that. You, you have to kind of take this on a case-by-case basis. Ollie Watkins, for example, I think it's no coincidence that as soon as Ollie Watkins was made main man, singular main man at Aston Villa, without the shadow of Danny Ings behind him, he has gone on to thrive. And I think that he's he's famously thrived in those situations throughout his career. But I think Tosin might be one of those players who genuinely does, and, and most people do, I think, improve their game with a little bit of competition just to light a fire under them. And and I think that maybe this season where he's realised that he wasn't necessarily a locked-on starter all of a sudden has maybe just ignited that a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think it's really important. And I think that the last few performances, he's been probably Fulham's best player three weeks in a row. 
And Sonia, um, I know you spoke to um, Tim Ream in an article for The Independent that you did um, about a month ago. And it's interesting, you know, with an eye on next season now, what is going to be the centre-back pairing going into 23-24? Is it now that Marcus Silva is going to try and find a way to move Tim Ream out? But then again, Tim Ream's done absolutely nothing wrong this season. And I assume especially from reading your article that you did with him, still has that hunger to be the the starting centre-back and it's still going to be a fight between Tosin and Issa Diop. But it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you've got quite a few factors here because not, there's nothing, there's no reason for Tim to get dropped, but you've always got to have one eye on the future and accept that Tim can't play forever as much as I think he would like to think that he can. I think it was it was really interesting speaking to him how he sort of feels like he's in the best form. You know, previously when Fulham have been in the Premier League, he's had to take a back seat. But this, he's sort of proven he can do it. And he, his sort of motto was, well, if I can do it, then I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I can. And I, I don't, I think it would be a question of age, I think, if his centre-back partner was also nearing the end as well and you really need to start bringing someone in. But Tosin's only 25. He's got many more years left. So mm. I think he can potentially learn from Ream and also learn to take over leading that line from Reem when Reem eventually does move on. But I don't. I think if something's working, you don't have to try and fix it. Yeah. I think if it's working and they seem to have a really good understanding and speaking to Reem about how he's had so many defensive sort of partnerships um, and how he sort of almost doesn't look at that in a way and tries to play his game no matter what and just lift those around him. I think that's something that Totten can learn from because eventually, I guess, the goal would be that he leads that back line for Fulham. Yeah. Uh, interesting in your article that Ream says he can. Uh, he wants to make 2026. What do you reckon the odds are, Jack, of, uh, of Ream at, uh, at 26? Well, I mean, I've, I think we've all made the mistake of writing him off before. And I don't <laughs> think any of us are going to do that again. Um, it's, it's a long way, three years. And, you know, he's, he's going to be coming to the very tail end of his, his 30s at that point. But... We've seen players play in their 40s in La Liga and the Europa League this season. We've seen players playing into their 40s in Serie A. Zatan Ibrahimovic has just been recalled to the Sweden national setup at the grand old age of 41. So, you know, nothing is impossible. Nothing's off the table. And if he keeps playing like this, why not? Why not? I mean, I'm looking at uh, an article that uh, I think five players have played uh, four players, no, yeah, five players have played at a World Cup in their 40s. He wouldn't quite be in his 40s. So, I mean, quite a few of them are goalkeepers. It's home soil. Um, like, so you can completely understand the desire to be there and, and thereabouts. And whether that's, you know, even we, we talked about it this time, we didn't know what his role for the USMNT was going to be in this World Cup, considering that he hadn't had a call up for such a long time for him to then walk straight into the team and be the bedrock on what the defence was based is one thing. But we also spoke about the leadership element. We've spoken about this in a Fulham respect as well. That leadership element in the dressing room, having him about to guide through younger players, all of those things are important. And on a in a World Cup where the US will obviously be hoping to genuinely make a real splash on their own turf... I do think that there will be call for some sort of senior leadership to be able to take through and what is a talented group. And, you know, this has been called the US golden generation. We've heard that before, but equally you can't win everything with kids, as they say. So there's a, there's a line with, with all of it 
where you have to kind of find that balance. And maybe his role is potentially not necessarily starting every game, but is a player coming in to shore things up late on in games, someone who is that kind of experienced head. I don't think it's out of the question. Rafa Marquez did it for, for Mexico, famously, you know, at the, at the last World Cup, not the last, the World Cup before last, I should say. But it's yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, the way he's playing and the kind of way his career has seemed to Benjamin Button, I'm fully not ruling anything out. Yeah, completely. Well, look, we've put a link into uh, Sonia's interview with Tim Ream uh, in the description of the podcast. Uh, well worth uh, a read, a lovely chat uh, with our, our favourite man. And not a lot more to say really on on last night's game. Um, Fulham are still in ninth. Um, the Bees and the Blues play each other tonight um, at Stamford Bridge. So um, at least one of them has to, to drop points in the old uh, West London mini league. Um, Sonia, I was reading a few things this morning that that is, that is Europe over now, surely like that. There is no chance surely now of, uh, of making the top seven and, uh, and getting into Europe. I know that mathematically it's all possible, but surely now after last night and not that I'm that disappointed, I really, you know, it was, it was, it was fun to sing. We were all going on a European tour all season, but realistically we we haven't got the squad to do it and uh, i think it's just fine isn't it yeah i think i think it's definitely europe gone but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i mean i know that west ham this year probably pretty much only been in the relegation battle because they're stretching themselves so far with the squad that they've got to play all these europa conference league games that thursday sunday thing is real and it does make an impact Mm. so I think, you know, it's nice to dream, but given that how many good sides are not going to get Europe, you know, Chelsea probably won't get Europe either. And that's not anything anyone would have predicted at the start of the season. So I think, you know, it's nice to dream, but I'm not sure it was ever really that realistic, especially how sort of Liverpool and Brighton and Villa have played this season. Yeah, completely. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens in that uh, in that match tonight. Uh, Fulham remain rooted in ninth. Um, not a classic. I bumped into uh, Jack Kelly on the uh, on the walk home from Villa Park last night, and he was like, "This is definitely going to be one of those games that I can put in a forgotten Fulham matches article in five years' time." Can we remember the night where we went to Villa Park and Tyrone Mings scored a, in a one nil win? Um, yeah, I, I think that. Uh, we were, I won't be bookmarking that one on YouTube, I don't think, uh, to watch those highlights in, uh, in years to come. Uh, we're going to take a break. Afterwards, we're going to look ahead to Man City on Sunday. If you'd like to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you'd like to save money by purchasing flights from different virtual locations, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Now, I've been using NordVPN for well over a year now. It comes in very handy very often. Uh, particularly when watching sporting matches using my UK subscriptions when I'm abroad, or you can use it the other way around if you're in the UK and you want to use subscriptions from other countries. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash and you can get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to grab that deal, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. 
part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It is Sammy here with Jack Collins and Sonia Twig on the Thursday Club. Um, really exciting. Uh, tickets for our live show at the Half Moon have sold well. Um, sold much better than we expected. I, I got a ticket update this morning. We've sold three quarters of the tickets uh, for our live show at the Half Moon, which is on Monday the 8th of May, straight after the Leicester game. Uh, we're going to be there recording, giving our thoughts on the match, having a bit of fun, answering your questions, doing a live version of This Will Catch On. Uh, we're going to have a special guest there as well. Um, so if you want to get your tickets, probably best to move quite quickly. It's a limited capacity in the uh, in the half moon. So they have sold quickly. Uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast. Uh, there's also links on our Twitter, on our Instagram, and also at, on our website, fullamish.co.uk. Uh, we would love to see you there. Uh, so please get your tickets quick if you fancy coming uh, to the half moon, uh, having a few drinks uh, and just celebrating what's been a glorious season last night aside. Um, with us. Uh, it'd be lovely to see you there if you can make it. Let's look ahead then to Sunday's game against Man City at the Cottage. Two o'clock kickoff. It is live on Sky Sports in the UK. And Sonia, you know, this is one that you look on the calendar, you're looking for your kind of guaranteed home wins. And this is the one that you circle in a big fat red pen as easy three points. I think it's a case of uh, damage control, especially given what we've seen from City <laughs> recently. I think it's just, you know, let them have the 2-0 win and everyone can go home thinking, oh, well, it wasn't really that bad. I mean, in all seriousness, they're seriously a quality side. Um, from a football perspective, I'm actually quite looking forward to watching them, just seeing yeah. how they play and how they, you know, stack up and all the innovative things that Pep's done there. But yeah, I think... If you win, you've got very lucky and it's one that you'll remember forever. And if you lose, you think, well, we always expected that. It's not, it doesn't really hurt in quite the same way as losing to, you know, a local rival or anything like that. I mean, Jack, there is an element actually of, I don't buy a Fulham season ticket so that I can, I enjoy, I buy a Fulham season ticket because I love supporting Fulham. I don't really care who we play. I'll, I'll watch this in league two, league one. It's about supporting Fulham. And I'm not, and there'll be some people that have a Fulham season ticket because they love watching Premier League football. There is an element on Sunday of because Fulham are so safe, middle of the road, we're not going up, we're not getting Europe, we're not going down, we don't need the wins, but they're nice. But I'm just looking forward to Fulham taking on what is probably the best side in the world at the cottage. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's definitely one of those things where there you, you play and you the players will want to test themselves on these kind of stages and i think that that's completely fair enough you know it, there's a there's an element of where you're looking at this and, and and you look at the the team that city have but also the, the way they're playing at the moment and obviously we're recording this prior to the manchester city arsenal game and i was trying to work yeah. out if there was a situation or a result in that game that suited Fulham but but I don't think there is because if they lose they're going to be absolutely furious and we're going to get the backlash of it if they draw they still need to win every game to the end of the season in order to overtake Arsenal and if they win they're going to be on a massive high and and trying to make sure that those, <laughs> those points are secure that they go on and win the title and maybe the treble so like there oh, isn't no. a situation here that I'm like all right that'll help Fulham out whatsoever this weekend but you know, we said this before and we'll say it again, Fulham come into this with no pressure. There's no demand 
from the fans that you know there's going to be no there's going to be no kind of anger if Fulham lose this game. As we say, there's no shame in losing to a Manchester City side of this caliber and quality. They will look to, for a performance, and the players will want to test themselves against the best in the world. I think that that's really interesting and quite fun, you know, dynamic to this game. There's also the kind of sub narrative, if you will, that at least Bern Leno might well be trying to do his old club a little favour. So th- there's a couple of things going on. There'll be, you know, Arsenal fans desperate, I'm sure, for, for Fulham to, to turn Man City over. We've seen them lose at games we didn't expect them to lose before. We've seen Fulham give them a genuinely really good battle at the Etihad. Yes, they weren't in the stride that they're in right now, but still a, a good side and, and nothing to be ashamed of. And, and obviously that, that was decided by that late penalty. So I think that there's a kind of real intrigue about this and, and the fact that Fulham don't have huge amounts of, you know, anything to, to kind of look at is, is maybe a positive in some ways because it's, you know, it just takes the pressure off. You know, you throw it all the way back four years ago to 2019. We played them in March, I think, right at the end of March. So similar scenario. I remember it being a lovely day at the cottage and they were 2-0 up within 25 minutes and then took their foot off our throat and just sort of played the rest of the game out. I don't think that's what Fulham want this year. I think Fulham will want to keep this tight and, and be able to defend and sit in deep and, and maybe frustrate City enough that that openings open out. Uh, see if they can get in behind this defensive line and see if someone like Dan James or, or Bobby Deckard over Reed can can kind of make sure that Fulham are in those right areas and take chances if they come to us. I, I'm more positive about this than I think I ever have been in the fact that Fulham have nothing riding on it and therefore it's not like that game in 2019 where it was like an eighth successive loss and it felt like it was very much condemning us to the drop. Yeah. No, that's a similar thing. I remember, I remember that game where, where they won um, at the cottage. And, you know, when you're facing relegation and stuff, these guys, these games are, are hugely dispiriting because you're like, this is, we, we need wins and we just can't get a win today. Whereas, and actually sometimes that pressure just means that actually it's almost a guaranteed City win. I, I, I think there's an element of just like, I don't think we're going to win. I think the chances are stupidly slim. And as you say, Jack, whatever permutation in the Arsenal game happens, it's only probably going to be bad news um, for Fulham, really. But but let's see. I, I mean, Sonia, um, would you like to pick a player uh, that uh, that maybe Fulham should keep an eye on? Um, they've got a few uh, that we that we could that we could look at. Uh, uh, okay, Ash, I'm just going to say it. Erling Haaland at the cottage. Um, quite something, isn't it? It's going to be a, a sight to behold. We talked about Tim Ream and Tossin earlier. <laughs> Can they contain <laughs> Erling Braut Haaland? Well, I think it's, uh, it's one for Bern Leno to have a fantastic game. I think he's going to be needed probably yeah. quite a bit. I think I think everyone, you know, to even for a straight city, I think everyone really needs to step up and play a role. And I think they're going to have to be incredibly organised. I think Paulinho is definitely going to want to get stuck in. I don't think he's been the best in the last three matches. So I think it's mm. time for him to have another really good performance. Um but I just think everyone's got to be, you know, you can't let those runs go in behind. You can't let anything go because they're so clinical that if they get one chance in the box, you can almost guarantee that it's going in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, Jack, um, who who has done best against City this season? In fairness, Fulham did very well, but that was kind of hard to judge because City went down to, to 10 men, probably put in one of their best performances of the season, arguably, with the, with the 10 men. I mean, obviously... Um, 
our friends up at Brentford got a very famous kind of smash and grab up there. Um, you know, Spurs did a great job of them uh, against them in, in February. City weren't quite in their stride then, but how do you beat Man City? You hope it's your lucky day. Uh, I think it's genuinely the truth of it. We, we've just seen this side take apart Bayern Munich. We've taken seen them take apart Leipzig. We've seen them take apart Liverpool. Palace have done... Palace seem to be City's bogey team. That That's yes, the do. one that, you know, I think they, they got a 1-0 win at Sellers Park, City, but it was a really tight, tense encounter. And over the last couple of years, we've seen Palace... Frustrate City. I think, you know, last year they got a win at the Etihad and a draw. At this year they went 2 0 up against them. This at the year Etihad. they went they two nil lost 4 2. They lost 4 yeah. 2. They've lost both games this season, but they've, they've given themselves a fair account, I think. Um, mm. Everton got a point at the Etihad, which was a bit random. Remember that? That was weird. Yeah. That was on like New Year's Eve or something. Um, <laughs> Forrest got a point against them at the City ground, but it was another one where it just felt like. Their goal lived to be of a charmed life. I, I just think it's one of those where you have to just be quite lucky. You have to get those bounces that go for you. You have, you know, this is a side who are a machine. And I know that it sounds like quite negative, but I don't really mean it to be. It's just when a side of this good, you kind of just have to hope the dice roll in your favor a little bit and then take your chances when you get them. You have to try and stifle this kind of five-man attack, which is really quite difficult with the, the new system that the Pep's playing. I say new. It's basically like an inversion of Herbert Chapman's 1930s WM, but it, it does feel like he's he's reinvented the wheel in that regard in, in some ways. You have to deal with the fact that Bernardo Silva is probably one of the best one-on-one dribblers in the world and can keep going around people. You have to deal with the fact that Jack Grealish now looks like a really important, complete part of this City side. You have to deal with the idea of Gundogan and De Bruyne bursting into the box from central midfield. You have to then deal with Haaland before all of that. And then, you know, if that doesn't go out, John Stones is going to whack a volley in from 20 yards. So it, it just does feel a bit like, you know, you, there's so many parts to the puzzle to try and work out City. You have to win your individual battles, hope things go your way a little bit um, and take your chances when you get them. It's, it's as simple as that sometimes. I also think don't score too early. Don't poke the I bear. stifle the game as much as you can. But don't don't go one nil up because they will come back with everything and it will really wake them up if they're a bit sort of because the Arsenal game is going to take a lot out of them. I think that's genuinely true. They're going to be you know being held as a title decider. They're going to put everything into it. So I think the best thing you can is keep them quiet for as long as possible and hope you get lucky towards the end. Don't score early on and just sort of wake them up and spark them into life. Hmm. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to find it tough not to celebrate if we go one nil up too early on uh, on Sunday because I'll be I'll have it ringing in the back of my mind that Sonia said no, don't score too early. <laughs> we've made a mistake. We've made a foolish error here. I'm going to be there with my head in my hands while everyone else is celebrating the hammy end. Um, I mean, Sonia, there's an element of you know wider debate. I find City just the fact it's so mechanical. It's just they they they. I mean, I think they're obviously going to win the league. This could obviously age terribly by the time that this podcast is out, but I think it's likely that they'll now become like, they'll have won five of the last six titles. And I just slightly worry that as much as we kind of market the Premier League as this great competitive division where so many teams can win and, and the Leicester thing did such good things for the Premier League because it kind of made that philosophy true, the not, not, not that it really is. But we are getting like, 
I think City only have to win a couple more titles in a row, maybe win the Champions League, whatever. And we are kind of entering Bundesliga, league uh, kind of territory where City are just so dominant over the rest of the league. I mean, every team that we play this season, even when we maybe Arsenal at the cottage was a tough day out, but I've kind of thought, oh, we've got a chance here. We could do them today. We could, we could beat United. We could beat Arsenal. We could beat Spurs. We could beat Liverpool on our day. I just look at the City side. I'm just like, no, there's just no, no chance at all. And I don't know if that's a great thing for the league. I don't think it is actually. I think it's also the fact that, okay, throughout history, you know, we had that Man U team that won everything. But Arsenal were right there competing with them for most of it. So you still had a battle between two teams. This year, Arsenal have pushed them. But in recent years, you know, only Liverpool have. And even then, only sometimes. I think we are in danger of sort of letting them just become so dominant that it almost becomes a fight for second place. And I don't think that's what anyone or the league wants. But it's also one of those things that, you know, no one else other than maybe Newcastle now really has the money to compete with City. They've got £50 million players on the bench who they can bring on. I'm not sure anyone else really has that level of depth. Yeah, Jack, I mean, in recent years, it's almost been like teams have put unbelievable monumental efforts in order to try and topple City and other than the the one Liverpool campaign where City fell off, that, that no one has succeeded. It looks like City will probably win it this year too. I, I'm interested to know your thoughts. Someone that covers wider football and stuff, is it a problem? Is it something to worry about? Or should actually England be grateful that we've probably got the best team in the world at the moment? I don't think that there's any need to be grateful. Um, I think it sets a standard that other teams can kind of aim towards. Um, I, I don't buy this whole... The Premier League is so far ahead of any other league in the in in the world, chat, and and never have. I I don't think it's it, it's reasonable to suggest that when you look at the amount of Italian sides in the final throws of all three European competitions as compared to uh, Premier League sides. I don't think it's reasonable to say that when we've had a dominance of Spanish sides in European competitions over the last. 10 years. Uh, I don't think you can look at this and say, oh, the Premier League is far and away the best league in the world. I think it's the best marketed league in the world. And that's why there's so much chat around it. And that's why there's so much um, worldwide acceptance that the Premier League is this kind of top dog. Um, but I, I, when we look at the results in European competitions, I don't think that stands up. I, I, I really don't. And I do think the City are the best side in the world. I completely agree with you on that. But I don't necessarily buy the fact that, you know, everyone else is as good as perhaps they're being made out to be. And, and that's the beauty of football. Um, but when you, when you look at this, and I think that what the Premier League does do well is that there is a competitive edge to it throughout. Whereas I think that when you when you look at some of other, the other of, of Europe's, I'm going to say top seven leagues, and especially um, you're talking about the Eredivisie and, and kind of the Portuguese Premier at this point, there is an element that the bottom sides are kind of, so far away from the top break-off teams that it feels like a real turn-up for the books if one of them beats someone. I don't think there's quite that sense of turnaround if it happens in the Premier League, which is probably an arbiter of, of where it is. But I don't think there's any reason to be grateful for City. I, I think this is a side built incredibly well. It, the you know In terms of being clubs well-run, we often talk about Brighton and Brentford and, and the way that their model works. But actually City are run, as you say, like a machine. The signings, 
even if they don't look brilliant first year, usually work out in their second. The the way that Pep continues to innovate around this side is incredibly impressive. And they have, you know, who I consider one of the greatest managers of all time at the helm. They have a backroom staff designed to help him out and, and make sure that he's happy. And that's how you keep a club running, you know, at the top level. You then throw multi multi billions into the into the tank for it and yes obviously it's gonna be incredibly hard to shut it down but i don't think there's any reason for anyone to be grateful i just think it's one of those where you can enjoy the city side for what they are and what they are is an absolutely unbelievably efficient and entertaining well i mean obviously debate debatable you know however you look at it I, i think they're incredibly entertaining i love watching them play football um but you know that that's where i'm at in terms of the balance of leagues and, and and yes maybe the premier league is looking at uh one of those monotonies i don't think that takes away from the storylines around the rest of the league i've been saying this for years about the bundesliga and, and said yeah when juventus were dominant it doesn't take away from the drama that happens in the rest of the league a title race is not the only important part of any given season but it does help if there are challenges and that's why i think it's been you know, cool that Arsenal have been there and thereabouts this year and, and why it was impressive what Liverpool have done for sort of the last five years, even if City have been mostly on top of that one in terms of league wins. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think Arsenal pushing them all the way this year has been hugely entertaining and you never know by, by this time tomorrow, maybe it's a, the title race will be back on. But uh, currently as it stands on Wednesday afternoon, uh, it's looking a little bit bleak uh, for Arsenal. I'm um, just from a Fulham perspective, um, Sonia, are you, the difficulty here is that we don't know the extent of um, Willian and Wilson's injuries. We're expecting Marco's press conference to be on Friday when we'll, we'll find out a little bit more um, about, about those. Um, but other than that, would, would you make any dramatic changes to this lineup? I don't think so. I think making dramatic changes can sometimes lead to its own problems if people aren't quite sure where they're going to play and start getting in each other's way. I just think they've got to have more of a focus on defending and I wouldn't be surprised if Kenny comes on a bit earlier if they're struggling for control in the midfield. I also think it'll be, I don't think Vinicius will start. I think it'll be very heavily counter-attacking based, which I think is right when you've got a team like that. You don't really want to commit too many people forwards all the time because they will catch you. Um, so I think I think it'll be pretty much as we've seen before, but I do think the players might be quite up for it. As Jack said, they really want to prove that they can play against City. Yeah. Um, Jack, what would be would any any major changes that you would make? I'm going to guess that Willian's injury is maybe not too bad, but that Wilson's might be a little bit more um, serious. So we might see Bobby come in at right and then maybe back to Willian at left would be my guess. But obviously we're, we're just we're just literally plucking injury um, times out of the air here, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about Willian's. There was kind of conjecture, if you will, that it was a, a hamstring injury which might see his season ended, if I'm honest. Um, so I think we're going to have to see changes. Um, how those look, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and, and, and how Fulham go about it. I, I, I might be tempted to play Bobby through the middle and play Dan James yeah. wide, just to, just to allow us a little bit more of that kind of dropping in and trying to link play thing going on as, and, and still getting that 
ball over the top and also to kind of separate James and Solomon a bit so that they're on different sides of the pitch. Yeah, that might be something. I also wonder if this is a game, and I know this sounds ridiculous because Andreas Pereira covers so much ground where he actually does go for a midfield three as opposed to a sort of 4-2-3-1. And maybe he goes with Lukic, Reed, and Polina just to try and stifle things a little bit more in the middle. That's potentially what I would do. Uh, at, at this point, just to just to maybe give us an option later on in the game to to bring on an attacking player, especially if there's so many out injured, um, just to be able to mix that up a little bit and, and maybe change the shape and see if we can if we can hold hold the game tight and keep it keep it you know relatively close. Then can you bring someone on like Pereira in the last ten fifteen minutes in order to affect the game? But Silva's shown that he doesn't really do that very often and Andreas Pereira has been pretty much a mainstay. So I'm not 100% sure that's what he's going to do. It's just something that I would consider if I was in his shoes. Yeah, well, we will see what happens on uh, on Sunday. Can we uh, can we tame the beast that is Manchester City at Craven Cottage? Uh, we shall see. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. Afterwards, we're going to take some of your questions and then do a couple of this or catch-ons. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack and Sonia. Let's answer some of your questions that have come in via email in the past few days. Uh, This one from Matthew Wall. He says, a perspective rather than a question. Watching the Villa game was a throwback to Parkable. Midfielders being played up top, doing a job and lots of possession without a shot on target and ultimately succumbing to a deserved goal in a tight game. Fine margins, you might say. It was a rare and grim echo of how we used to be. It was also, however, a good moment to reflect on the joyousness of being six games from the end of the season with 45 points and a positive goal difference sitting in ninth and having secured safety in February that is such an incredible achievement we wouldn't have dared to dream of this in August I'm looking forward to the final few games where basically the horse has lost its rider in the Grand National galloping around having a good time messing up others races and jumping over some fences if we fancy it. Nothing to lose, nothing to win, no pressure, just a chance to express ourselves. That backdrop made enduring that Villa game when we weren't really that bad. Leonard didn't have that many saves to make. Just fine by me. Thank you very much. Looking forward to a busy summer of upgrading rather than overhauling our squad and to another season in the Premier League. Come on, you whites from Matt. Um, nice perspective on it, Jack. Yeah, yeah, I think this is it. We're just, you know, coming to the end of things and coming to the end of the season and we're we're light. I think is the truth of it, isn't it? Well, you know, squad wise, we're light in terms of being able to make the changes and, and, and mix things up. We've kind of done it on the fly a little bit and that's how that's okay. But, you know, just generally when you're, when you're looking at these things, it's just one of those things that that kind of comes with where we were. The last thing we could have done is completely and utterly thrown money at it last year and, and had the same problems where, we were falling through the trap door with with a load of debt and having to offload that again. So being able to consolidate the squad last year, and we did so in a really smart manner, I think, without going absolutely wild, was was a good move. And we look at where the squad is for next season, and I think we're in quite a good place. Yes, as Marco says, there's money that needs to be spent, uh, and I think that you know Matt's point here about upgrading rather than overhauling is exactly spot on you know now we can look at the problem positions and deal with them it's not like oh god we haven't got a right back and we're going to start the season without one it's not oh my lord we've got one fit center back and we need to bring in three this summer and everybody knows we need three there is space here to make this squad fill out the edges make sure that the right things are coming in in terms of plan b's and and also being able to mix things up and deal with injury concerns and overall i I agree i'm looking forward to this summer i'm actually 
just started today writing an article about my wish list for Fulham in the summer. You know, the players that I'm I'm hoping that we're going to sign uh, and and the positions mm. that I think are are in most need of of upgrade. Uh, and and so um yeah it, it's been really interesting to see you know how you fit these things in and what kind of gaps in the squad rotation I think are most most well uh, in need of a of a direct upgrade so yeah it's been it's been very good. Can you give us a sneak peek? Uh, Hugo Kuipers from Ghent is my um is my idea of a striker that Fulham should bring in because he can play as a ten out wide and as part of a two. Um. And so it's an option to re- rotate in terms of Mitrovic if we need to. Uh, it's a different type of striker, but also someone that could drop in and play behind Alexander Mitrovic, giving us a bit of depth in that 10 position, and also um, could play up top as a two if we are, as Silver is wont to do, struggling in a game and throwing on two strikers at the end to try and salvage something. Interesting. All right. Well, I can look forward to uh, that little uh, nugget of an article, Jack. No doubt that will go down uh, pretty well. Um, this one from Tom Ellum says, hi, gang. Love the pod. Just a quick question. Our performance against Villa wasn't great at all. But to me, the pitch looked huge. Do you think that had anything to do with our performance? The way we play doesn't suit a ginormous pitch, especially without our big, strong target man. Um, I found an article about Premier League pitch sizes this season. Um and as far as I can tell, Villas is no bigger than most stadiums. In fact, it's got the standard 7,140 square metres um, that uh, other pitches uh, in the Premier League have. But Craven Cottage is the smallest pitch mm-hmm. in the league. I didn't realise the cottage was that small. Um, ours is 6,500. Um, so, I mean, Sonia, I've, I don't know if I'm giving massive thought to whether pitch size matters, but uh, maybe size does matter. Well, I think there's only so much leeway. Clubs have got to have a pitch within certain parameters. I'm not sure it can change too much. I think sometimes the pitch can feel bigger based on how sides are playing and also how far set back the stands are. Every time I go to the London Stadium, I think that pitch feels huge. And I know it is one of the bigger ones, but it feels so much bigger because there's such a big gap between the pitch and the stands. I also think if your side's chasing the game, sometimes the pitch can look and feel very big. And when you're on top and trying to find space, sometimes it can feel very small. But I've never, personally, I've never given too much thought to how the size of a particular pitch. Do you guys want a bit of trivia? Do Do you want a bit of a quiz, bit of a game? Yes. Which club in the Premier League has the biggest pitch? We'll try and do a bit of a yes/no, narrowing it down rather than you naming all twenty clubs. But yeah, uh, any any first guesses? I would have said I would have said City, but nope. Arsenal. Nope. Usually, the teams want the you know who want the bigger pitches are are teams who tend to be slightly more direct. Um. I can tell you that it's not a tradition. It's not a traditional big six or seven club. Hmm. Is it? Is it West Ham? No, it's not West Ham. West Ham's is the standard 7,140. Hmm. Is it like someone like Brighton? Uh, no, Brighton's is the standard. Um, I can tell you that this club is in the Midlands. Is it Wolves? It is not Wolves. Oh. Leicester? Nope. Forest. Nottingham Forest. 
by quite a distance. It's the same length as everyone else's, but it's extremely wide. It's over 70 metres wide and no other ground in the Premier League is over 70 metres wide. So there is your trivia for today that Nottingham Forest has the biggest ground in the Premier League. If you're listening, you can quiz your colleagues or something like that uh, around the water cooler. That will make you the most popular person in the office, no doubt. Um, Let's come on to a couple more questions. Um, This one from Alex Jones. Uh, I don't think this has aged massively well because he sent this three days ago. I think it was said on the last pod that it would be so Fulhamish for us to lose 1-0 against Leeds given their run of form. How many Fulhamish things have Fulham done over the last couple of seasons? Has Marco helped us not to be so Fulhamish? I mean, um, yeah, I do get his point though, that like, Jack, it does feel like these things happen a little bit less, but um, we did also um, implode at Old Trafford with three red cards and uh, <laughs> that felt fairly definition of it. I mean, it's one of those weird terms anyway, that doesn't really mean a lot anyway, but it's just... Some, it's just a bit of a historical, whimsical thing. Yeah, I mean, people are always going to say things like, yesterday we were, what was it? Villa hadn't won nine in a row in midweek and Fulham had won four on four. Is it Fulhamish for Fulham to lose to a side who are driving up the table at home under a really good manager and competing for Europe and now fifth in the table? I, I don't think so, despite that record. So th- there's a lot of it. I mean, maybe not having a shot after the first 22 seconds is is potentially one of them that would fall under the definition. But generally, yeah, I'd agree. I think Marcus Silva has probably stemmed the tide a little bit. And it, it's easier to go through these things. And I, you know, ask a Spurs fan at the moment. They say Spurs, you don't know. Um, you ask them at the moment, and while the club's in crisis, it's Spursy after Spursy after Spursy. Or when they're doing really well under Mauricio Pochettino, that term goes out the window a little bit. And I would imagine it's the same for Fulham when we're floundering in the championship and, you know, struggling to score goals and players are going on strike and there's cheese been thrown around, then maybe, yes. But I, I think that <laughs> probably under sensible management and, and under a manager who, who knows his stuff, Fulham have kind of punched our weight this season and punched above our weight at times. So, yeah, I would say he's probably stemmed the tide a tad. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those uh, things that doesn't happen too often. I do think the Man United one was a, a good definition of it because that was, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a dubious word. Make of it what you will. Um, finally, on the questions, just uh, one to read out here from Joseph Greenlees. He says, hey, guys, I've been a Fulham fan for 15 plus years uh, and listener of the podcast for the last three to four. I've had a season ticket now for the last eight years and have always been in the Riverside, excluding when they kicked us out to redo the stand. I always go... Uh, with my dad to the matches and it's become a bit of a tradition with me looking forward to eventually doing the same with my kids. Now I'm lucky enough that last year I was able to pay the £1,000 season ticket back to the Riverside stand. However, this year, the seats that we're currently sitting in would be 2,250 and neither myself or my dad can afford or justify the over 100% increase and therefore won't be getting season tickets for next season unless something changes. My dad's getting on a bit and doesn't want to move stands either as he's currently sat with a few mates. This is obviously massively disappointing as it's something that I always look forward to and I can imagine that I'm not the only one who's going to be impacted by this. Um, can I suggest we start a campaign to Matt Lowry and Alistair McIntosh to get them to reconsider the overfoot rule pricing of tickets more in line with inflation? Um, if you agree this is a good idea, let me know. Uh, all the best from from Joseph. And I think this is one thing, Jack, that whilst I've always been focused on the, you know, and I've, I've, I feel like I've said that like we shouldn't be focused on some of the Riverside tickets because they're a bit of a distraction. I do feel massively sorry for just people that are in that situation where their ticket has just gone up by just an extortionate amount. And I think 
behind all the numbers and everything like that are just like some real people with real situations who are just going like, I sit with my friends. This is like a place I want to be. Like I'm in the Riverside. I'm comfortable. And you've like more than doubled the price of my ticket. It's, I don't know. I, I just feel particularly for old Riversiders as well, who, yes, I don't think anyone would expect to come back to that, st- that stand and it to, to be the same price or whatever it was for there to be kind of no catering for those old Riversiders for like, even like a section where they can be, look, most of this stands expensive, but we've made the end seats cheap for old Riversiders. I, I, I guess it's just an element of just thoughtlessness from the club and who cares? We'll find new people to replace you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's another line on the whole cold, hard business element that's kind of dominated this discussion, right? And yeah, I feel incredibly sorry for old Riversiders. It's something that it, it, I can't really add it up. And I, I really struggle with it conceptually. I, I agree. I don't think anyone was expecting us to come back and for all the seats in the in the new stand to be the same price as they were in the old. But equally, there has to be some sort of ability to, to work things out and you know I, i'm sure that there'll be people listening to this going well why don't you just move but it's not as easy as that and you know you build relationships and you have friends in the same areas and and all of these things are you know are important to the match day experience and that's what's you know been crucial to fulham for so many years you know it's about going and seeing the same people it's about you know the, the people you don't really know and the people you sit around to you have the same chats with every week and, and all of those things are special and so when you when you you know kind of take that ability away as a club have done here, I just think it leaves a really sour taste in everybody's mouth. And I don't have any solutions. And I hate complaining when I don't have solutions. But I, I don't know what we can do in order to change the club's mind on this. And I think the letter that Shad Khan wrote basically underlines the club are not going to be changing their stance. And it makes me really sad. Yeah. Um, well... Uh, anyway, well, more to come, I imagine, uh, on the ticket price stuff, uh, in the next uh, few weeks, we'll continue to cover it on the podcast, um, as and when, uh, things drop, but yeah, it doesn't look like there's an all lot, lot of change for now. Uh, right. A couple of this will catch ons before we finish. Um, I don't know where to start with this first one. <laughs> um, this is from Jamie Inamoto. It says, hi, Fulhamish, love the pod. And one of my favourite sections is this will catch on. I really want to contribute. My two favourite songs so far are the Tom Kearney one and last week's Cool for Whites. I do feel like there's a gap in the market, though. All the songs are lovely chants about our favourite players. We don't, as far as I know, have a nice abusive song for Chelsea. So attached is my rendition. I call it <laughs> The Colour of Shite is Blue. <laughs> and it's based on Sit Down by James. Now, I'm having to play this with a massive asterisk because... Because I've listened to this and there is no way on God's green earth that we can broadcast the whole thing of this on a public podcast. Like, I genuinely think that, like, it would be libel. Um, It would just be a nightmare for all of us if we did. So... I'm reticent to do this. I found 30 seconds of um, Jamie's bit that, like, doesn't get us in trouble. But um, if you want the full thing... I'm going to put it on the Fulhamish Telegram um, tomorrow, maybe Friday, for uh, for people to enjoy. Um, at least then it's in a somewhat private forum that can't get me um, arrested. Um, I mean, it's brilliant and it's hilarious and it's so, so good. But yeah, this is just a small 30 second snippet, which gives you a taste um, of, of the full thing. <laughs> 
Most clubs send their scouts worldwide El Salvador to Betis Your lot just watch the World Cup final In the slug and lettuce Going down, going down, going down The colour of shite is blue Wanking the league and out both cups It's League 2 for you Just say <laughs> You've heard the full thing, haven't you, Jack? I have. Um, it's quite something. It's probably how I would describe it. I really enjoyed it. Let's put it that way. I had a really good time. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it's quite expletive heavy. It's probably how I, how I would probably term it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says some not so nice things about some people that you might expect um, to do with Chelsea the entire way through. Um, it's intriguing nonetheless. Um, if you're not part of the Telegram and you want to listen to it, I don't know, DM me or something. I'll send you a link. Um, it is funny. It is very, very it's funny. very well put together. I did really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weirdly professional. Um, Sonia, your thoughts on, um, on Jamie's, uh, it's almost kind of like the streets, the way he delivers it, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I, if that's the 30 seconds that you deem the most appropriate, I can't imagine what the rest of it's like. <laughs> it's hilarious. Jamie, thank you for sending it in. I hope you don't. I did um, enjoy it, Jamie. That- yeah, we've really enjoyed it. I mean, I hope you understand why I can't play the full thing, um, given some of the lyrics. Um, this final one is uh, from our friend Marisa Cardoni. Uh, she says, hi, Fulhamish. Here's one I've done in response to the recent publication of the new ticket prices. Now, Marisa is a regular on This Will Catch On, and uh, she sends in brilliant multi-track um, Queen efforts. of the Barbershop. Uh, yeah, loves loves a harmony does uh, does marisa and yeah this one is in response to uh, the recent ticket prices and it's to the tune you might expect it's very well done I work all night, I work all day, I pay the bills I have to pay that's so sad the honey and she gets a seat my meager wages can't compete. That's too bad. The penny end is just as bad. Hardly a cheap speech to be had. The Johnny Haynes has even less, but there's one stand that tops the rest. Money, money, money. Always sunny in the riverside. <laughs> Three grand for a ticket, you can stick it up the riverside. Uh-huh. All the posh corporate dues for the businessmen and tourists in the riverside. Nice. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much, Marisa. Um, perfect. Uh, summation i think of uh, everyone's thoughts on the uh, on the ticket prices jack your thoughts yeah very good i mean marisa always delivers doesn't she um and i imagine that everyone feels pretty similar um especially considering the email we had earlier so 
yeah, it's it is not great. Um, but that was great. There we have it. Sonia, what do you think of uh, Maurice's multi-tracking there? There's a, there's a lot of levels, literally, to that. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the singing was a lot better than I think most of the terraces could hope to perform, but maybe the chorus will catch on. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, Marisa, sit, Marisa sits next to me, funnily enough, um, in the uh, in the hammy end, uh, Sonia, and um, she doesn't tend to sing like that, actually, during the games. Um, it's very much something that she saves for her home studio or wherever she uh, she produces these uh, masterpieces, maybe Abbey Road, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, always great to get a, a Marisa song on uh, This Will Catch On. And that'll do for this week. Thank you very much uh, to my guests, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you for having me as ever, Sammy. And Sonia Twig, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Uh, Jack, what would you like to go with as today's podcast name? I am going to go with Paul Bud's Midweek Midlands Misery. Very good. Very nice. Love it. Okay. Uh, Fulhamish will return on Monday after the Man City game, uh, reflecting no doubt on our 3-0 win over Pep Guardiola's men. Um, we shall see what happens. And then the Thursday club will return... This time next week after the Liverpool game, um, when we'll uh, reflect on that. A couple of difficult games uh, coming up for the Fulham. Thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Come on, you whites. You whites.